Before we start this podcast, we would like to take the opportunity to mention that we now have a Patreon page where you can help to support, evolve and continue these compassionate conversations. Please visit patreon.com slash voce dialogues for more information. Welcome everyone to the Voce Dialogues, Voices of Compassionate Evolution. I'm Chloe Goodchild, the founder of The Naked Voice. And I am here to welcome you to our online community, which is an opportunity for us to evolve and to inquire, to deepen and inspire our understanding of the nature of compassion and compassionate action and its transformative impact in the world. I'm particularly interested in exploring this theme with the lives and hearts and minds and teachings of poets, artists, writers, musicians and philosophers, teachers and social entrepreneurs and activists. Mark, it is wonderful to meet you in this way on this new enterprise called the Voce Dialogues. I'm really looking forward to talking with you around the theme of the voice and communication and poetry. You were just speaking just now about the whole lineage of the heart. This really is a time for community and for learning, perhaps again, as we've had to learn many times throughout history, how to listen with real deep compassion and what compassion really means at this time it's not a very fashionable word Uh, I'm aware that uh, sometimes when I've asked to use it as a title in describing a subject for a workshop or something people might say oh maybe maybe don't lead with compassion maybe take people to compassion and (laughs) that is title or something So that's kind of interesting. So I want to really bring it forward uh, in this dialogue with you because I think it's such a radical and essential word at this time and it's something that we as human beings really need to learn how to wake up to and how to embody. Well, absolutely. And thank you. It's wonderful to be with you and and to explore this together. And, And I think it's so important. Uh, this whole focus on voice and compassion and poetry. And, and so, you know, compassion is absolutely essential, as all the traditions speak of, uh, regardless of whatever, uh, whatever rationalization or denial our age might be in. <laughs> so, uh, no, compassion is everything. And the word itself literally means to be with, mm-hmm. to keep honest company. Mm. And, of course, you know, altruism and kindness, you know, so there's a couple of things to start there. Those are so important because, you know, if you fall down, I can help you up. If you are cut, I can give you a Band-Aid. But anything that that happens on the inner plane, I can't remedy for you or you for me. But we can help each other heal with honest companionship, which is compassion, because presence and being, when we are kind and wholehearted, we emanate like a, a little sun. And you know, when the sun is what it is, everything grows toward it. And when we are for the moment, all that we can be, then we grow to each other. And 
you know, in, in the early, um, in the Chinese history, there's a philosopher, Mencius, who was 200 years after Confucius, and he had this wonderful metaphor about kindness and compassion. And he said that, you know, water allowed its true nature will always flow downhill and join other water. He said it can be manipulated to go sideways behind a dam, through pipes, softly, forcefully. But allowed its true nature, it will always flow and join other water. He said so to human beings, that allowed our true nature, we will always flow in kindness and join each other. And we can manipulate ourselves or each other away from that. And so I think that's that this brings us to that, you know, in our age right now, globally, we're, we're at that juncture of the perennial most important question of are we going to choose love or fear? Mm-hmm. And so, so I think that, that let, me, let, me, let me move to, to two things. One here is this inextricable link between inner work and service. That, that really when we awaken, I have found in my life anyway, that, you know, once I have, that I am blessed to be awake, then what do I do? Well, then I need to be kind and useful. Mm-hmm. Then I need to not be hidden, you know. Right. And that's when the voice comes in. Absolutely. The inner voice, and then as it translates into the outer voice, that's true. And, presu- and so I'm aware that you probably, like, and certainly like me, had to discover, perhaps apparently by accident, uh, how to demonstrate compassion on ourselves according to, you know, our own life stories and so on. I don't know whether that was something, was compassion something that you found blessed to be brought up within a context of that or was it something that you happened upon perhaps or a little bit of both and you know through your own life circumstances for example sure throughout my writings but I'm a long-term cancer survivor Mm -hmm. I'm I'm 67 and in my 30s I came down with a rare form of lymphoma which I almost died from and um, and you know I I was blessed to be given such compassion and kindness from people of all traditions and faiths. And, and I mean f- traditions very widely. I mean, even people who were scientists or I had a friend who was an atheist. And, and you know, I mean, all the, I, I, let me pause here to just say, you know, I believe that, that if you believe in anything larger than yourself, you're a mystic. And when we start to try to name what's larger than us, then everybody goes to their corners, you right. know, of, of right. what it is. And uh, and so an atheist still believes in something larger than themselves. They just call it nothing. Yeah. So I call it everything. So what's the difference? That's we can still cool. talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, really, it's, it's really interesting it? because a discussion about, you know, what um, – the heart is or what you know compassion is if we're just going to talk about it intellectually we're probably we probably are just going to go into our corners you know because uh, the whole uh, understanding of the heart within the context of religious terminology is so can be quite limited for those of us that are much more experiencing the heart as a multifaceted uh, experience that includes, you know, the whole spectrum of human emotion and sensuality, and the embodied experience of nature, and all of that. So, 
what I'm aware of is that both you as a poet and myself uh, as a singer, uh, that we both happened upon two realms of communication that have enabled us to take off the tight shoe of the mind, of the egoic mind and the sort of rational mind, so to speak, that will go well, off to a corner as soon as anybody mentions the word religion or God or whatever. But nevertheless, if you just make a sound or you share one of your extraordinary poems, you're just transported immediately into the realm of soul, which no one taught us about at school very much or one or two amazing teachers, of course. But um, Yeah. Well, and I think that place that we are touched in the center, and this was one of the great lessons for me from my cancer journey through no wisdom on my part, but, you know, waking up and blessed to be here still, I was dropped into my heart. And ever since then, my mind has served my heart and not the other way around. And, you know, the heart is the conduit, the tuning fork, if you will, yes. through, which, through which everything moves. And, and I feel the mind is, it's like if, you know, I'm thinking like with, with, with song and, and sheet music, you know, the heart retrieves the song and it's the mind that then learns how to notate it. Uh, but, but, you know, and serving that and the same thing with the words and the poetry. And for me, poetry is the unexpected utterance of the soul. It's not about words and stanzas. It's not about, it's a quality of heart perception. That is that, that tuning fork that when, then that brings, uh, everything alive and giving voice to that is the, is the connection to others. So, you know, I, um, when I was very young before my cancer journey and I had my doctorate in poetry and I was teaching at Albany university in Albany, New York. And, um, you know, I was hoping like any young poet that maybe if I worked hard enough, you know, I might, I might write one or two poems that might even be called great, you know, Oh my God. And, and then I came along, and in my early 30s, I was, you know, turned inside out and upside down and, you know, fighting for my life. And, well, forget writing great poems. I needed to retrieve true poems that would help me live. Wow. That reminds me of the moment when uh, uh, Shams of Tabriz is basically throwing all Rumi's books out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Get the books, you know, get to the absolute source, get to the direct source. Well, and that's it. You know, the the books and the words are the trail. And now, now, you know, I want to be the poem. And the words are just the trail. And and I learned that, you know, uh, through this, the, the poetry which I'm all, I'm just, you know, that's who I am, but that has, that serves the spirit. It serves the spirit. So to go back, so where did poetry find you? Did it find you as a child? So obviously you were exploring it in a more formalized way before you had this. Well, I was not formalized, you know, because I mean, I basically, when I was, a, even as a boy, before I had, I knew any of what a poet was or what a metaphor was or what any of this, you know, the world has always, and God, universe, whatever you want to call that that is larger than us, has always spoken to me through metaphor. Mm-hmm. That's been kind of my birth heart language. And, 
and teacher. And so even as a little boy, when I was alone, I wasn't alone. And, you know, if the wind was suddenly moving through the trees, I felt like it was always saying to me, look, look, we are like what? What is this like? Pay attention. And so I was always in this conversation. And then, you know, I only started to write it down when in, you know, high school when I fell in love, first love, and that that beautiful woman, you know, finally dumped me and uh, had my first, the archetypal broken heart. And, and so I didn't have, clo- you know, I wasn't a loner by any means, but I didn't have, I didn't have any really close friends till I got to college. So um, I started writing as a way to heal. And, and then two things happened there. One is that I touched into the place from which cry and song arise that place that is the same that wholeness uh-huh. from which the uh, from which i feel the utterance emanates and then we at being human beings it tips into cry or song or happiness or sadness but i really believe at the center it's an all-encompassing feeling that right. can't be separated and one of the things as we through great love and great suffering, eventually through life, we find that unity again. Yeah. You know. Suffering then becomes a really essential part of the journey, isn't it? I mean, because the jars... Oh, yes. I mean, not, not, I'm not advocating suffering. It's more like describing gravity. It's there. And yes. I think the, and there's a difference between the suffering, which, as the Buddhists speak of, is the friction of the wheel of life, and that's different than the pain we inflict on each other, which, right. which is often needless, or, or on ourselves. And so I think that, yeah, there, there are two basic ways for me that, that human beings tend to grow. And one is by shedding, willfully shedding. And the other is by being broken open. And usually it's a combination like X and Y chromosomes. You know, we will, and if we don't, uh, you know, willfully shed, we will be broken open. You know, there's a great uh, Roman saying that says, the fates will lead those who are willing, those who are not, they'll drag. (laughs) (laughs) So this is really interesting because you're touching, you're you're leading me into the territory of longing and Mm. uh, how longing is often confused with depression and I, for example, I, I'm very fascinated that if I ask a person how they'll say they'll come into the situation we're, we're talking, and I say to them, "So, um, how do you feel?" and they'll say, "I'm really depressed." You know, well, I'm really depressed. And they go, "Oh, right. Well, what does that sound like?" So they say, "Well, I'm not a musician. I I couldn't possibly tell you what that sounds like." <laughs> you know? So, and I've come here to prove that uh, I'm not... So there's this whole kind of, the mind's going, uh, I'm going to keep, there's a kind of protection needed for this label right now. So you go, well, you know, maybe you've paid to come in. You come here, we might as well explore something. So they then will go, oh. And Mm -hmm. very often it will be that minor third thing. Like, oh, of course, that's beautiful as far as I'm concerned. And I'm going, wow, that's beautiful. 
And they'll go, what do you mean that's beautiful? I'm depressed. You know, they go back into the ordinary mind again. But for a moment in time, they can hear in the sound, there's something going, oh, oh. And I said to you, that is, wow. Are you sure you're depressed? You know, let's just listen to this a bit more. And then what will very often unfold is, is quite a kind of minorish, but a, this exquisite, you know, could be a Jewish cantor, it could be an Irish folk song, you know, it just could be. And then very often, of course, if you just keep pursuing it, you realize that you're not actually depressed. You're just actually that sound, that music that's in there, that's coming through the mouth without needing to be a musician or anything is longing longing for something you just cannot name because yeah i think you know i think from from my experience and i think that you know there are there i would make a distinction that there is clinical depression which is biochemical which uh which people can't you know they don't really have a say in that Right. And that's a, like a chronic condition, which is very difficult. And then the kind of thing that I think we're touching on, which the rest of us, you know, that's why I feel so deeply, as you do, uh, about the life of expression. Because, you know, when I started writing, of course, I was taught to, and, you know, I, I because I was writing, then I went to uh, graduate school to be able to teach at the college level. But I really was, you know, still of course I learned from others, but I was really finding my own voice right. and, and finding my own way. But what I've really come to feel is that writing and, and voice listening, all of it is not about perfection or about even creating excellence. It's the healing life and the healing journey of expression right. that what is not expressed is depressed. Mm. And that we have to the I mean, this is one of the things that I explore in this book that I'm working on that it's called Drinking from the River of Light, the Life of Expression. And that'll come out next year. And um and it's this sense that um you know, we inhale and exhale and there has to be a rhythm. Yeah. You just can't inhale. And you just can't exhale. You, you will hurt yourself and eventually die. Right. And, and when we translate that to the heart, we have to perceive, experience, feel, and express. We have to inhale experience and express experience, whether it's alone or with others or however it might be. Right. It might not be verbal. It might not. But, it, but we have to have some form of the heart's exhalation for health. And what I have found is that it's not about writing great poems. It's about writing true expressions. It's about surfacing what is authentic and true. And, you know, this then moves into the difference in our cultures between, you know, it, and I'm sure you share this, but it, for me, it's about presence, not performance. Yeah, immersion, not excellence. You know, I, I can strive for excellence and not be present or authentic. Right. But if I am present and authentic and immerse myself, the byproduct it will probably be excellent. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's the one, isn't it? There's got to be a hunger for this. The, um, and very often what I've found with people is that we're so programmed to impress 
that the expression just doesn't get a look in. The expression yeah. is just barred by that. I've got to impress. I've got to, you know, I've got to keep meeting needs, goals, you know, requirements from the outside in, as opposed from the inside out. Well, and this leads to, you know, for me, what, you know, uh, I've come upon through the years is this notion, and it's a paradox of sorts, but that, you know, in the outer world, we're taught that to get ahead, we need to get attention. Mm-hmm. But what what leads us into any life of expression or art form of any kind is, at least for me, is giving attention. I, I mean, I started, I think I started writing not only to express <laughs> what I was feeling, but to try to keep the wonder in view a little longer. And, and so by giving attention, we recognize and verify the mystery and our own spirit and the connection. But then, you know, you might be, you know, a child in the play yard, playground yard humming, and someone says, oh, you have a lovely voice. You should become a singer. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you, you're scribbling and you should become a writer. Or even if you're playing with hands in the dirt, you should become a gardener. Yeah. And, and that all may be fine and good, but what happens is we're encouraged to become a noun when the wonder and vibrancy of life is in staying a verb and, and not containing it or even naming it. Yeah, absolutely. I love the Latin for wonder is miraculum. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It really says it all, doesn't it? It really invites, and that, so that, that sustaining of wonder and the understanding and the embodiment of wonder is so often associated with childhood, isn't it? And it's just, it's the absolute epicenter, isn't it, of any creative work? Yeah. Well, you know, I thought you had mentioned that, so I thought I would bring a poem in here. That'd be great. So this is a, a poem that, you know, when, when I lived in Albany, New York, and beautiful in the spring, I lived on a beautiful park, Washington Square Park, and I had this experience for me, and I feel like I retrieve the poems more than author them. I wouldn't say I channel them. I bring everything to it and my own personality, but I... I retrieve them and then they become my teachers. And that's so I don't set out, oh, this is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. I follow that heart feeling. I follow that tuning fork. The words are the trail. And then I work with it to try to understand what touched me. Okay. You know, the, the Hindus, you may know the Hindu expression, Upaguru, uh-huh. which means the teacher that is next to you at this moment. Oh. And and I love that, and, and that's a real guide for a poet. So this is uh, called Where No One Stays a Statue. It was a sunny day, and I went to the park and sat on a bench. I was one of many coming out from under our rocks to warm and lengthen. And he was two benches down and a gentle older man, staring off into the place between things, beyond any simple past, Staring into the beginning or the end, it was hard to say. When he came up, our eyes met, and he knew I'd seen him journey there and back. Well, there was no point in looking away, and so he shuffled over and sat beside me. The sun moved behind the one cloud, and he finally said in half a quiver, How can we go there together? 
I searched my small mind for an answer. At this he looked away and the sun came out and I realized this is what the lonely sages of China were talking about, what the moon has whispered before turning full for centuries, what dancers leap for, what violinists dream after fevering their last note. But I was awkward and unsure. He stared as if to search my will and after several minutes he just patted my knee and left. I watched him darken and brighten in the sun and vowed to look in the folds of every cry for a way through and hope someday to meet him there. My God, what an opportunity. What a moment. It's incredible. Astonishing. Miraculous. Miraculous. Yeah, yeah. You're reminding me there was these moments that we can so easily forget about or just toss away like when people when I catch my mother singing for example uh, she has dementia now and she's singing more and more and more which is really interesting to me which is another whole conversation uh, as to what that is all about but you know and that so often is described as doodling or it's it's made small it's made some kind of lesser thing or oh, that's not real singing that's just doodling with sound you know but I remember, for example, these, these moments are so precious. They're so precious, aren't they? I remember this the other day. I was just walking down a street <clears throat> to the traffic lights, and a very elderly gentleman was walking this way, and I was walking that way. And he was walking really slowly. And I just knew we were going to connect. And I was just walking that way. We were in completely different worlds. We didn't know who each other was. And to just, I knew there was going to be this moment, though. It's a bit like in your poem where he suddenly was aware of my presence walking straight on. It was like a junction, so there were traffic lights going everywhere. And he just looked up like this and just went. Uh-huh. So those kind of aha moments, aren't they? When you just well, and, the, and I think these moments, they're not just, they are moments that, strengthen the threads that connect everything. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's through, I believe that when we are authentic and open-hearted, we connect with other people and those become the synapses of life force mm. that strengthen the web of connection that is the world. And so they're, they're just uh, not passing moments and they become teachers, you know. So in that moment, in his own inner, inner moment, he was having a moment of deep connection with the universe and realizing that we had seen each other. So then, you know, that question is very much at the heart all these years later of my book on community. How can we go there together? Uh... How can we go there together which yes. has been the question for yes. ages and and i think that that you know wisdom doesn't help us shortcut our time on earth or our path it supports that every generation and every person has to go through the same incarnation and wisdom yeah. supports us yes 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 how does poetry really open that up for people that don't consider themselves capable? Well, I think, 
I, I think that in the same way, and I think that I sense that you feel the same way about voice. As I mentioned, for me, poetry is the unexpected utterance of the soul. And so there are several things that, you know, it's not by, when, when we can be authentic and, uh, and express whatever our, our human moment is, mm-hmm. our moment as a spirit in a body and time on earth, then we connect with others. And we are more together than alone. And so we discover through relationship. And I think that, you know, it's not by accident that the word kindness and kinship have the same root. Because one of the rewards for kindness is not just that it strengthens our relationship. Mm -hmm. Kindness and expression are, are the reward for that is we experience oneness. We experience the kinship with all things. And so, you know, and the other thing that I feel is, which I discovered, you know, my father who passed away about four or five years ago, he was 93 and he, he was a master woodworker and really didn't understand poetry, but we shared creativity, uh, though we worked in different medium and forms. But I realized when he was uh, dying and, I chanced to be with him in the hospital at one point, and as many people have experienced this, and there I was feeding my father applesauce, you know. And it was a tender, uh, beautiful, heartbreaking, sad, joyous, all-encompassing moment. And I gave myself over to that moment. My whole life was that moment. And then as we were doing this, I felt like I was feeling and letting that feeling express itself, whether we call it poetry, song, embodied, uh, living, we could call it anything. And when I was in that moment, I realized we were in a moment of wonder. And even though it was difficult and it was sad and it was tender, and then I realized that I tripped into this moment whereby letting my whole body and being be the expression, holding nothing back. Mm -hmm. I went thoroughly to the bottom of my personality and tripped into the well of all personality. And suddenly I was in the moment of every child who ever fed a dying parent. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't alone. And I, that's been with me and I feel like, when we can express, and I know you uh, understand this, we think the words come from the heart or the, through the hands on the page or the voice comes through the mouth, but the song is the whole being. The poem is the entire body. And when I can allow myself to feel whatever I'm working with or given that completely, then I am graced to be allowed to feel what I am starting to understand as resilience is when I can inhabit my being to its depths, I trip into the well of all spirit. Right, right. And it's, it's the, the daring to be there too, isn't it? It's the daring to be there. And well, this comes back to compassion that love yes. brings us there. Yeah. If, I don't, if I follow my love, I don't need to be daring. That's yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, it's it's already there. Yeah. Already there. And there's nobody, there's nobody doing anything, right? 
You're no, and this is why pre- it's, it so starts with, with complete presence. Yeah, yeah. So finding that and being that and how poetry can be that, or rather, as you say, you know, just embodied sound, embodied feeling. Well, there were two, you know, there, I remember, you know, the, the, this is where it gets back to the, intric- the inextricable link between being who we are and service, which is the being of connection. And, you know, two, two quotes here, you know, one, Ramana Maharshi, the, the great Hindu sage, he said, to try to save the world without first liberating yourself uh-huh. Is like carpeting the earth rather than wearing sandals. <laughs> oh my God, that's brilliant! I love. That. And he he had that wonderful because um, I used to sleep in the ashram there in Tiruvannamalai. Oh my God! Yeah, place that is. Yeah, he's such a powerful presence. So there was just these very simple directions coming in the middle of the night, three in the morning or whatever, just. Be without leaving yourself. Mm, wow. Yeah, beautiful. And the, the, the other quote comes from Pablo Neruda that has always been instructed. It's really not a direction, but it's, there's so much embedded in this. You know, he was in the 30s, in the, uh, he was an ambassador from Chile in Spain, so he witnessed the, the, the Spanish Civil War and a lot of the horrible things that happened there. But he has a line in one of his poems that says, the blood of the children on the sidewalk is like the blood of children on a sidewalk. And what's so powerful about that is that the power of poetry and metaphor is to try to make visible what is invisible, what holds us. Right. But when, but the other power is what is visible is to bear witness. So in that case, if he were to try to say that the blood of the children on the sidewalk and try to make it like something else would actually distance us from the truth. Right. And so this part of, part of the role of compassion is to bear witness to the truth of what is and not to distance. Yeah. I, I'm remembering, as you say that, I'm remembering Thich Nhat Hanh's description of just carrying the dead bodies in Vietnam mm. and just oh. smiling, just holding the dead bodies and just practicing being with dead body, smiling, smiling. Yeah. That, oh, my God. Yeah. It's, that really brings it home how unbelievably privileged we are to be in the lives that we're in and how privileged we are to be even in this conversation <laughs> to be, yeah. I mean, to be able to have be in a world where it's possible still somewhere to feel this quality of connection with oneself and to praise, you know, the miraculum of life and to know yeah. that we all have that opportunity and must take it you know, wherever it is and receive it and acknowledge it and embody it and express it, just done with impressing. Yeah, yes, yes. For the pure expression of this moment right here now. That leads to uh, another poem, if we... Oh, yes, please. That is called Being Carried. 
the things that happen to us are trying to have a conversation to make us stop or turn around. The things that matter are waiting for us to drop down after the first conversation has relaxed our will. Then they will shine their light without warning like a doctor into the back of our eyes and ask, how long have you avoided rest? If we answer truthfully, they will introduce us to beauty who after a time will make us cry and throw our judgments into the sea. Yay! Yes, please. <laughs> uh, uh, That'll make a great song. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a simple act. It's like being children again, as you say. You know, it's like here we are, two people in our 60s, just the sheer act of conscious play is what compassion is, isn't it? Conscious play. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's being, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think I've spent much of my adult life, and this is archetypal, you know, trying to thin what is between my heart and life. And, and, and I think I've done a good job. And so now I cry at everything. I am everything I see. I am touched. You know, when I was in London in July, which was a marvelous experience and so gracious you know, people and hosting and uh, and that I met in Turk circles I was teaching and stuff. But, you know, I was staying in Westminster in a flat and I was just walking around and, and I was on the corner having a cup of coffee and there was a bus stop right there and your wonderful double-decker buses and, <laughs> and this bus came by and stopped and started to leave and there was a woman who had, was missing the bus and was trying to catch it and the bus went past the corner went about 10 yards and then all of a sudden the brakes hissed the door flew open and he must have seen her the bus driver saw her in the rearview mirror and waited for her and you know that moment that's it um I came away from my trip and I think that was my uh that bus driver was my greatest teacher because yeah. No matter what we do and what we try, we're all going to be late. Oh, yes. For, we're, for in, in, in all the, the realms of that word, yes. whether we don't show up completely, and I don't mean just time late, we're all going to be not completely there because we're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to, and we all need to wait for each other. Yeah. We all need to wait for each other. And so that moment... And I share that as a recent example of, of, yes, compassion becomes the way the heart sees when it accepts there's nowhere else to go. Mm, that's really lovely. The way the heart sees when it sees there's nowhere else to go. That just makes you breathe right there, doesn't it? Yeah. It makes you breathe. It's like where on earth do we think? We are going. Well, one of the, one of the you know, I, I so love what I'm blessed to be able to do, and I travel all over the world. And the humble kind of paradox is I travel all over the world to affirm that there's nowhere to go. <laughs> well, that brings, that, <laughs> that 
That brings and I'm happy to do it. <laughs> so what I always remember, because uh, one of my root teachers, Ananda Maimara in India, she, she used to be literally on the move the whole time. Yeah. People would ask her, they'd say, so why are you traveling so much? Why are you, why are you moving all the time? <laughs> you know, and she'd just look at them and she'd say, traveling? I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, the body moves, I do not move. Uh-huh. Yeah. Kind of, and for me, that's where I get very excited how music can really assist us to understand what on earth that means. You know, the body moves, I do not move. Who is this I that is not moving? Yeah, that's beautiful. And so, for example, in, in musically, you can, you can just nail that understanding through having just a little portable harmonium, for example, or a, an instrument that just has a drone on it. So I mean, I've actually got a piano under here, which I use sometimes. So you can hear here, you can just create, Oh, yes. You, know, you, can just, you can just create something that just keeps going. It's just, it's just there. It's not going anywhere, you know. And then the voice is just kind of... Okay, there's just always this just unchanging presence that actually just roots absolutely all and everything that we are. And I think that's, that's our, uh, you know, part of our journey. And I think that all the spiritual traditions offer so many practices. And I think all the creative art forms are ways for us to drink from that, from that river of light, which is the drinking from the river of light is why I have that title. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I love that image because for me, sound is a golden thing that we find right in the absolute core of our being. And it, sometimes you can hear it and it just falls off your back, you know, like the river you were speaking about at the beginning or the wind. It's like it's not something that comes out of the mouth even. It's, it's everywhere. So everything is music. It's that kind of idea. Mm, yes. You can hear it like that, then you just don't have to get, you don't have to, get into this I'm a singer thing anymore, you know, or I'm making something happen even. You know, as you've been telling me in, your, in, in, in so many of your poems just express so beautifully. And so if you were going to ask, like, somebody you'd never met before and they wanted to know how to feel that moment, how would that happen? So, like, in when you're working with... In one of your brief- well, my, my, you know, my invitation would be and is to two two things come to me. You know, one is that I try myself, and we can't always do it because we're human, but I try to move at the pace of what is real. Mm. And what I mean by that for me is I try to align my body, mind, and heart. And when those, however briefly, can move together, they form like, like tumblers in a mystical lock. They open to everything we've been talking about, to the mystery, to the river of light, to the, the glow, to, the, to this amazing uh, miraculum. And, and then 
I get afraid, and now I'm not at moving at the pace of what is real part of me. But this is why I think one of the things that is a key to a lot of the work that I am blessed to to invite others into is, so being human, we can't stay there. So what is our personal practice of return? Okay. How do, how do I, and I think this is how we personalize the spiritual journey is what is our personal, what do we do to return to the moments when we're aligned? Do we sing? Do we utter poetry? Do we garden? Do we love? Do we listen? Yes, 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 and yes. And, and so, so that's, that's the, and then the second thing is I try and I invite people to be completely present and hold nothing back. To lean in to whatever is before you because everything is holy. So any moment will open to the oneness, mm-hmm. to the presence. Yeah. That's, that's, it's before words, isn't it? It's sound before sound. Yes. Well, that's the paradox. I mean, right? I'm sure that, you know, one of the, the glory, because all music ends in glorious silence, which is the well, and the same thing. The only things worth writing about are things that can't be said. <laughs> and what beautiful good. failed attempts we have. Yeah. Yeah, what's that lovely? Who was it that I can't remember which psychologist said I'd forgotten the words I intended to say, and my thoughts disemboweled returned to the realms of shadows. Oh, I don't know. That's fabulous. I love that. I think it's the wolf or somebody, but it's the the theme of vulnerability. I think is really perhaps where we're probably coming to a close quite soon in this conversation, which I'm so treasuring. Uh, and certainly what I've picked up in our conversations is the, what I would call the music of vulnerability. So when you have that kind of, I'm afraid I'm running away from myself uh, feeling, or I'm now going to go somewhere and, and, you know, just not being embodied, not be present is I catch that as sound as well. Uh, you know, it's that they're, they're like sort of lines of energy that go out and away from oneself. Uh-huh. Yeah. They can be caught and reined back in. You can kind of catch them and bring them back in and your voice can actually do that. It can go, you know, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And then it's what quality of silence does that leave behind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shit in time, rather than let it run away with me, that I acknowledge it and just go, "Wow, that's really great." <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's okay. It's not about. It's like it actually is another opportunity to come to return, as you say. Well, that, and and you know, it, uh, the word vulnerable literally comes from. Uh, the Latin vulnus, and it means to carry a wound gracefully. Whoa. And, and what I love about that, and it doesn't mean, I mean, it could be misinterpreted in my view, as, oh, that means stoically, but I don't, you know, as, as I've reflected on that, I, you know, we all know a wound needs air and light to heal. And I think what it, that implies to me is that vo- being vulnerable is holding whatever the hurt place is open so that light 
and everything that's not us can grace it. And, and one part of very personal poetry is speaking from that place of, uh, from the wound when, when light is on it. That's a great image to hold as a meditation, actually. I remember once I was singing and I was in a great sorrow. This was quite a few years ago. And I remember thinking, right, I am not going to leave this place until that sorrow has ended. Mm. And so that sounds kind of quite sort of mental or something. But I just thought, right, what does this sound like? What does the sorrow sound like, number one? I just started singing Sorry. I remember my partner came in and said, we've got to go out to dinner with these people. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't move. Have a great dinner. See you later. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I carried on singing and singing and singing to the end of this sorrow. I just kept going. I said, okay, so there's more. Oh, and then it sounds like that. Oh, and now it sounds like that. And I kept on interweaving it with the silence, you know, like resting. Silence is there. Now there's more. And it just went on and on and on. And then it finally got to a place where it just exhausted itself. It was mm. like it emptied itself. It's like that idea of self-emptying love, except you're, you're not just in a kind of silent, emptying state of love. You're literally singing it out, out of you. Well, and that's beautiful. You really, that's such a beautiful example of what we were saying earlier about the need to express. Yes. Yeah. To express what what is has come in, and uh, that is so pent up or painful or powerful. Absolutely. Now, then, it's like how to consciously, skillfully express because, as we can see from our present leaders on the planet, that there's a lot of expressing going on. <laughs> Basically, no consciousness, which I think is. I would love in another conversation to explore how this understanding that we've just opened the door on today can be translated into the whole theme of community. For us, we call that the singing field. Uh, that's not a kind of happy, clappy thing. That's a singing as a, the awareness of sound as a quantum field of energy where people are very rooted, very grounded, and where sound is or is not happening, you know, and that then leads into a conversation around the sound of true leadership, what that, you know, and how everything we've spoken about really can translate itself into a quality of leadership, the likes of which we're not seeing much evidence in the public field. We're seeing it, obviously, in our own lives with very dear friends that are not choosing to have anything to do with the public field, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They are our real teachers, of course, uh, very often. And so, but that is something that I'm really very keen, and I know Andrew Harvey and various other people are, you know, to explore how what we're speaking about translates into a collective arena, not as a campaigning thing, but as an awareness thing. Sure, sure. To how that might want to translate into that well they're much food for thought <laughs> oh well this has been wonderful thank you so much you too mark it's, it's wonderful to meet you in this way you talked about service at the beginning and it's being in service to the voice and being in service to conscious conversation and 
how we can enjoy bringing that into the world through the poetry and disappear the suffering of I'm not a singer, I'm not a poet, and just let the sound or the feeling happen. I agree completely, and I think that it really it really touches, once it does go out, it touches so many and joins with, with their song. You know, one of the things I did discover in the, that, that whales, whales all develop uh, kind of regional songs. And as they move or migrate, if whales from different regions wind up, they will very quickly create a third common song. Oh, I love that. Oh, my gosh. That really, really speaks. In the light of which I just have to tell you a very very new story. A friend of mine who lives on Whidbey Island was out swimming with dolphins, or so she thought. Oh. And she was just just swimming back, having had this amazing experience with swimming with these sonar-locating beings. And then she's swimming with her husband back to the seashore. And suddenly she's aware of this kind of cactus. She thinks it's like a piece of cactus. And she looks around. And then she looks up (laughs) this gray wall of flesh. And this whale has basically placed its fin right around her. Oh, my God. And she looks up. And then she sees the eye of the whale. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And she just goes, she looks up, and this whale is just kind of carrying her along. And it turns out it's a baby whale with a mother whale underneath. Oh, my God. And then, so she just said, all I could think, thinking over to do was to just look up into this eye. She said the only words that came out of my, obviously she wasn't speaking, but was inside, she was going, you are not a whale. (laughs) 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 So on that note, on that note, oh my God, so much to be picked up there. Mark, thank you so much, and I wish you every great joy and success and fulfillment. Oh, and you too. So great to journey here. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. Great pleasure. Great pleasure. We will continue in these conscious conversations. Every blessing to you, and thank you so much for being here. It's such a privilege to communicate with you in this way. 